This episode is supported by Athletic Greens. I added AG1 to a smoothie today with almond milk and banana and peanut butter, and it was delicious. And I also love knowing that I got a range of vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and more sourced from Whole Foods. Plus, AG1 is designed to promote daytime alertness and sleep quality. Athletic Greens founder struggled with lots of gut health issues, and he created AG1 to help folks invite more wellness without having to take a ton of supplements. To make things easy, Athletic Greens is offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash girlboner. I also love that for every purchase they donate to organizations that get nutritious food to kids in need. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash girlboner to quote, take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. What I love to say is that I went from a victim and then I became a survivor and now I'm a warrior. Mm. You know, now I'm a warrior against the fight. You know, I'm here for the other women. I'm here, you know, to to understand, not to judge. You know, I'm here to to be that person in their lives. I'm here to be that Tika I wish I had. I met Tika Thornton in 2016 when we shared a TEDx women's stage in Beverly Hills. The theme of that event was, it's about time. And a bunch of really powerful stories were told. Tika's talk probably moved me the most, and I am certain I was not alone there. Tika is an advocate against sex trafficking who survived trafficking herself. She's also an all-around delightful human being. And she joined me back then in the studio to explore her journey from survivor to thriver to warrior, including ways she has cultivated self-confidence and trust, making way for the caring relationships and intimacy and self-acceptance that she deserves. And everything she shared seemed too important to leave in the Girl Boner archives. I hope you appreciate her story and her heart as much as I have. As always, please take care of yourself first and foremost, especially today if sexual trauma or abuse are sensitive topics. So you mentioned growing up in South Central LA. Yes. You grew up in an area known as the jungles. Yes. Could you explain what that atmosphere was like? Well, it's an area that has to have at least 100 to 200 apartment buildings. It's considered the concrete jungle. That's why they call it the jungles. 
especially back in the 80s and 90s, it was very wild and still is, I would assume, very saturated with drugs and alcohol and violence and gangs and, you know, just a lot of trauma in one area. I mean, now that I'm an adult, I see it as it was unhealthy. But as a child, it was my neighborhood. It's where I grew up. So I didn't really know any different until I started to go to school outside of my neighborhood. She attended school in the Pacific Palisades, one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Los Angeles. And by age 12, she started to fantasize about leaving home, even if it meant doing so on her own. Like I said in my TED Talk, I I come from a long line of generational trauma. And so my parents did the best that they could with the amount of knowledge and, you know, experience that they've known. My father had a battle with addiction. My mother, she was just, she wasn't very happy. And despite knowing that I'm a child and and understanding that I'm not supposed to be exposed to a lot of things that I was, I didn't feel loved. I know my dad loves me. You know, he's my everything. Mm. I know my mom loves me. But at the time, I didn't have an outlet. I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have anyone to tell me, like, your parents are going through a lot and it has nothing to do with you. It's not a reflection of you. It's just something that they're going through within themselves. As a 12-year-old girl, there was no way that I can understand that. So I took it personally and I felt like my mother being a single parent at the time, I felt like I was a burden on her. And I felt that if I left, things would be better. You know, she will be able to have more money for my brother who is five years younger than me. And, you know, she'll be able to not really stress about me because I was, wasn't a problem child, but I was just the average, you know, rebellious 12 year old. And so, one day, Tika decided to leave. It was an impromptu decision, and she really didn't have a plan. No, not a plan. I had gotten in trouble when I was in school, and so I was just like, I can't deal with it. You know, I I don't want my mom to be upset with me. I don't want her to lash out at me. It's like, let me just leave. With nothing. Wow. With nothing. I mean, I was 12. I thought that I was mature for my age. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was I was pretty dumb for my age. You're like, age. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We always think we're totally mature. Exactly. We're grown-ups practically. We can take care of ourselves. Who exactly. knows what's going to happen? No clothes, no money, no food, no nothing. Just, I'm just going to leave. You know, yeah. we're very impulsive at that age. And you feel invincible, too. Exactly. So Tika left. She walked and walked through the streets of South Los Angeles. As the sun lowered down behind the buildings and rain fell over her skin, she kept on walking. Then a man pulled up beside her. He was just like, hey, you know, and I I was trying to ignore him because like, you know, stranger danger or whatever. And then he was just like, hey, I just want to talk to you. I'm not trying to harm you in any way. 
And he was just like, it's raining. Like, are you are you okay? And I'm just like, you know, I'm tired. You know, it's wet. It's probably about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning now. And it's just like, okay, I need to figure out something. If somebody's willing to help me, I should allow them to help me. You know, that was my my logic at that time. And so he asked me if I wanted to get in the car to get out the rain. And I was just like, yeah, I do. My feet are tired. I'm tired. Like, I, I need I need some rest. Yeah, and some shelter. Yes. Even some respite from the, the cold rain. Yeah. 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 Who wouldn't want a little support? Yeah. And so you got into the car. Yes. Well, we started talking, and he was just asking me, like, you know, how old am I? Of course, I lied about my age. And asked me why I'm walking around the streets. I was just like, wow, me and my mom got into it. And I just left. And... Just a little conversation about music, about what I like, you know, just things that kind of piqued my interest. And then he offered me some weed, you know, and it was just like, you know, I, I know drugs. I know crack. I know alcohol. But at that time, it was like PCP and heroin. And it's like I knew all of those things. And I just knew that all of those things had a bad stigma. But when it came to weed, it was just like, oh, it's just a recreational thing. It's cool. You know, you just get the munchies. Chill out. Get a little goofy. Yeah, that's it. You know. So I was just like, you know, "Mm, if I'm going to try anything, it'd probably be this. I wanted the goofy. You know, I want the chill because I wasn't there. So I, I accepted the invitation. She took a puff and then nothing really happened. Weren't you supposed to feel weed within minutes? At first, I didn't really notice how it felt. I was just thinking like, oh, it's not working on me. You know, this is it. I'm immune to it. And then I woke up in a strange place. The joint she puffed had not contained only weed. The man was not a kind stranger, and Tika was not okay. When I woke up, I was I was still groggy, you know, from whatever the weed was laced with. I tried to focus in on everything, but my head was hurting and my body was in pain. So I was just trying to figure out, okay, what the heck is going on, you know? Where were you? I was in a room. It was really... I mean, like, when you look on movies and you see crack houses and stuff like that, like, it was something out of a movie. Sheets on the windows and, you know, it was like a hole in the wall. It was just, it was bad. Once I, like, saw where I was and was starting to understand what was going on, you know, there was a guy on top of me. That's where the pain was coming from. And, you know, there was moisture dripping on my face. He was sweating on me. I was in shock, to say the least. When I figured out, you know, that it was something on my face, I tried to wipe my face and I couldn't because my hands were tied up. Did you know what rape was at that point? Yes. In the neighborhood that I grew up in, we are exposed to a lot of things at a very young age. So hearing about rape, sexual assault, We are very aware of that. And so I figured out what was happening. And then once I tried to scream for help, 
I was just getting punched in the face, mm. you know, repeatedly, and I would black out or I'll be knocked unconscious. And then it was the nightmare because it was more, it was different men. Mm. Every time I came to, it was, it was different men and this happened. I really don't know. I was gone probably for about three days, four days at this time. So During those days, the men kept her tied up, giving her only brief breaks. And like many survivors of abuse and assault, Tika feared that trying to escape would make matters even worse. I was untied so I can use the restroom, but it's like there's a picture that's on Facebook of a horse being tied to a plastic chair. Every time I see that, I think about that situation because I could have left, could have walked out the door, but I was so fearful that I just stayed put. Finally, on the third or fourth day, Tika made a demand to another stranger that may have saved her life. The apartment was abandoned and the landlord had came in and he found me and he was like, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm not telling you anything until you get me out of here. I could barely walk, so I, I got in the back seat of his car and he just drove. And he was just like, well, where do you want me to go? And I said, I just drive. And literally, nightfall came and he parked at a, a laundromat. And I kind of like waddled out of the car and a lady saw me and she asked me what's going on. I told him like, you know, I'm 12 years old and this guy had me and guys were having sex with me and I was tied up and I didn't have any clothes on, didn't have any shoes. So the lady just took whatever that was left at the laundromat and she gave me the clothes and I just walked away. I went back to the same neighborhood. It's what you knew. It's what I knew. Did you go to your home? No. No. I just went back to somewhere where I, I felt a little bit more comfortable, even though it was where it started. I can't really remember too much after that. I was just numb. I ended up going into juvenile hall. That was a safe place for me. I was able to get rest. I didn't have to worry about anyone over me, anyone harming me, anyone yelling at me. I just had to do what I was told and just be, which is a huge change from where it was before. A safe space. Yeah. Of course, Tika couldn't stay there indefinitely. She didn't even want to, and she was still a child who had been through so much. Sadly, those nightmarish days were not the end of her hardships. At one point, she did have temporary respite at a wonderful group home for girls, where she said the buildings were named after trees. Otherwise, though, her life veered into more darkness. Or rather, the darkness kept taking from her. I was 12 years old. And I think I knew what was going on. I thought I knew what life was. I wanted to go out. I was like, you know what? That happened. It's an isolated situation. It will never happen again. I was a runaway pretty much in my teenage years. And every time I would meet a guy and I would tell them exactly what happened to me, they took advantage of it. Kidding. Yeah. Oh. So... It went from, I don't know, I can't consider this guy as a pimp, but he was, he was an exploiter. I will give him that title. But the other guys that I met, the second one, he was just like, you know, well, you've already done it. What's the problem? 
This way you're in more control. Being manipulated or forced into sexual labor is what differentiates sex trafficking from sex work, by the way. And while the notion of sex trafficking often draws up images of orphans being brought into the U.S. from other countries during the Super Bowl, that's not as common as the domestic sex trafficking that happens right here in the U.S. every day, affecting far too many vulnerable people. The traffickers often use a formula, which Tika described like this. You take a a young child or someone that's very vulnerable because of their financial situation, because of their emotional situation, their mental situation. You know, you take someone from a traumatic background. And you basically give them what they're missing in their lives. You know, some people will give them clothes. You know, they will take them out to certain places that they've never been to before. They'll show them attention. They'll give them a false sense of love. For someone that is looking for those things, that are desiring to have those things in their lives, they're going to cling on to that person. And from there, it's just how they present the situation to them. Most cases, there is called a Romeo or a boyfriend pimp. And what they do is they they wine and dine the girl or they just, you know, talk to them in a way that that's like a fairy tale, that they've always wanted a man to come into their lives and say certain things to them. And then, you know, if they're staying in a hotel room, they'll say, well, I'm broke. I spent all this money on your clothes and taking you out. And now I don't have enough money to pay for the room. So you're going to have to go somewhere else or you're going to have to go back home or whatever the situation is. And then the girl usually is like, no, but I love you and I want to stay with you. And then they say, okay, well, the only way that we can stay together is if you go spend some time with Chuck over here. And the girl will be like, well, I don't want to do that. You know, how would you feel about me? Like, and then he'll reassure her, you know, it's only sex. You know, it's, it's nothing. We have each other's hearts. It's not about your body. There's some smooth talkers. It's very strategic and methodical. It is. And especially when you're craving compassion and love and someone to care for you as we all do as humans. Mm -hmm. And when you haven't had that at home or you're living on the streets to have that kind of comfort and you have companionship. Mm -hmm. And that's probably why I've I've heard that so many people who are being trafficked don't realize they're being trafficked because they think they're in a relationship. They're Mm -hmm. being taken care of for the first time. Yeah. When Tika was 18, she had a turning point in her own journey when she saw that she wasn't truly being cared for or loved. I was badly beaten up by a pimp. And once I was in the hospital and once I came to, because I was unconscious for a minute, the nurse asked me, like, what happened? I didn't want to talk to the police. I didn't want to talk to anybody. But when she came to me and asked me what happened to me, And I will never forget a little, tiny little Jamaican woman and with a very thick accent. And I just told her, I told her my life story. And she says, oh, you got to go. So she gave me $200 and she gave me hospital hygiene stuff. I mean, everything that I had was in in a grocery bag, you know, and I left. Finally, compassion without a price tag. Yeah. Yeah. 
wow, she was an angel in your life. Yeah. That you brought in by opening up and, and you sensed that that was a safe place to, yeah. I imagine your your instincts had to have grown quite strong about people. Uh, yeah. And I learned fast. Probably about the time I was 14 years old, I knew how to stay out of danger. Even though I was still in danger because I was in the life and I was taking a lot of risk. But at the same time, it wasn't to where it was life or death. I tried to stay away from drugs as much as possible. I'll be completely honest. I did smoke weed when I was younger as a teenager, but I didn't do it while I was working. It was my escape after everything was done, mm. you know, and not a drinker. So alcohol wasn't a thing for me. Now it's a glass of wine, maybe. But then I just I just couldn't do it. You Plus, wanted the clearness of mind. Exactly. So when you left California with the $200 from that angel nurse, yes. what was it like to move on from that? Well, I, I still wasn't out. To be completely honest, I was out of being exploited by someone. The whole having a pimp situation or scenario was done. For some reason, I felt empowered because now I was able to do sex work on my own. It was your choice. It was my choice. And no one was abusing you to do it. Yes. But at the same time, it still gave me the empty feeling. But I, it was more of survival than anything else at that point in time. Survival sex work is what it sounds like, providing sexual services for pay meaning for money, for shelter, for food, out of a need to survive. It seems like, and may be, your only option. It's very different from doing sex work because that's what you truly want to do or you find it fulfilling. The survival type is what Tika's livelihood consisted of for the next five years, until she was 23. And it wasn't until I was in a relationship with a man and he had three children. He started to let me understand what I was doing to myself. He never told me that he wanted me to stop and I didn't meet him in that realm, but he didn't tell me to stop, but he was just telling me like, you know, I have a daughter. If you want to be a part of her life, you have to do more for yourself. Hmm. He knew that it wasn't something that was coming from an authentic place. Right. It, was, it was derived from the abuse. Yes. Because your development into a young woman mm -hmm. was so influenced. When we're just trying to get to know our bodies, we're changing. All of that got mixed up into this grown-up abusive. Yeah. And it, it actually started earlier than 12. I was first sexually molested at six years old. So my, my life has been sexualized. At that point, I thought that this was something that women have to be subjected to at one point in time. You know, it just so happens that my situation was a little extreme, but I'm a woman. I have boobs, I have hips. So sex is a part of it. That right there is at the root of so many problems and traumas. Research shows that within just one year, grade school age kids in the U.S. take in as many as 80,000, quote, sexy girl portrayals by watching kid-targeted TV shows, and that girls then aspire to look like those images. Meanwhile, kids of all genders perceive that sexualized females are also less worthy of respect 
and support. The residual effects of that are too massive to list now, but I'm sure you can imagine, especially when paired with generational trauma and cycles of abuse. That's one reason that Tika's growth and advocacy are so important. So when this partner of yours shed light on self-care mm-hmm. and it sounds like you really introspectively thought about that, yes. how did that affect you and, and what changes did you begin to make? Well, we started to just make plans. We just started to move forward. What are we going to do? It was just like, okay, well, the amount of money that I was making before, it's not going to be the same. So we need to come up with a plan. I humbled myself and got a regular nine to five job. And then I got an opportunity to start a business, a detailed business with my my ex. That's when the empowerment came because of his hard work and my business sense. And I tell all of my, my ladies that are in the life or that have gotten out of the life, if you can sell yourself, you can sell anything. You are a businesswoman off the bat. For me, because I, I knew how to talk to people, I understood in order to get what I want, I have to give a little. And even as bad as it sounds in the life, you can transfer all of those, I don't want to call them skills. I'm trying to find a better word, but for a lack of a better word, skills yeah, yeah. into regular business. And from there, it was just, like I said, empowering. Uh, yeah. Was there a moment or a time that it really hit you that, whoa, this really is my better life? Like I've I've turned things around. I was with my ex for over ten years, and it wasn't until the relationship was over, and I had lived in Chicago for fifteen years, and then I moved back to California about four years ago now. It wasn't until I was back in California. The business was over and done with. We had to dissolve everything. And I was homeless. I was mentoring, so I was making a little bit of money. I only had enough money to rent out a storage unit, pay my cell phone bill, buy me a a bus pass for a month, and able to feed myself. And I was sleeping on the beach. I would basically go to Starbucks, charge up all my devices, Go to Santa Monica Pier, which they have internet. They have Wi-Fi at the beach, FYI. I don't know. Yes. And I would sit there all night until the sun came up, and then I would go into the middle of the beach, and I would sleep because there were people around. And when I looked up and I said, I have not sold myself so I can be able to have a roof over my head, so I can have more money in my pocket, that was the moment for me when I was just like, I'm okay. Today, Tika continues to mentor others, and her position brought what Oprah would call a full circle moment. I had met a woman and I told her my life story, and that's when I recognized that I was a survivor of human trafficking. And from there, she was just like, oh, well, do these trainings. So I went through all these trainings and learned as much as I could. I was kind of obsessed with everything. 
she was just like, okay, well, there's a group home that's looking for a survivor to co-facilitate their CSEC, which is commercially sexually exploited children. And they talk about human trafficking. They talk about the warning signs, the pitfalls of being in the life. I went into the interview and I, I spoke with the lady. And after we had the interview, and she was like, was there any, any other questions? I was just like, where is this located? You know, like, is there any, like, landmarks or anything special around this area? And then she was telling me, she was like, yeah, it's, it's over here and it's in this city. And I was just like, wait a minute. So are the names of the different dorms, like, of trees? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, I was there. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, uh, probably about... 20 years ago, I was a client at this very same group home. I have chills. Yeah, so it was just, once I went to the group home, it was amazing. I slept in these beds. I ate at these tables. I was here at this very place when I was in the life, for one, and when I was that lost child. And then for me to come back and talk to these girls and tell these girls my testimony— and let them know, yes, it may seem hard right now, but you can make it. I am no one special. You know, my story is not special. If you listen to what I'm saying to you and what these staff are telling you and the curriculum that they have, you can be 10 times further than where I am today because they didn't have this type of curriculum when, when I was there. You didn't have that role model to look to. No. If you had, have you thought about that? If Atika came in and said, hey, there's a future for you. Oh, gosh, I'd probably be a doctor. I would have, you know, a huge house on the hill (laughs) and properties everywhere. And, you know, I probably have it all. But at the same time, I always think of the downfall. I wouldn't have purpose in my life. My pain brought me my purpose. Yeah. Tika was homeless when she started that mentoring position, living on the beach between bouts of couch surfing. Then a family member invited her to stay with them for about six months. And then from there, my mentor had me going to more trainings and I started to be more a part of the fight. What I love to say is that I went from a victim and then I became a survivor and now I'm a warrior. Mm. You know, now I'm a warrior against the fight. You know, I'm here for the other women. I'm here, you know, to to understand, not to judge. You know, I'm here to to be that person in their lives. I'm here to be that Tika I wish I had. Tika also helped me weigh in for a listener, Jeff, who had written in. Jeff told me that his girlfriend had a history of sexual abuse, and because of that, they had agreed to avoid sex. They were about a year into their relationship then, and Jeff's girlfriend wanted to start bringing mutual masturbation in, so basically self-pleasure together in the same room. But when they tried that, Jeff ended up with really intense performance anxiety. In other words, he said he just couldn't get it up. And he basically wanted to know ways to support his girlfriend in this new phase of their relationship and help her feel comfortable. Dr. Megan Fleming and I shared thoughts for Jeff, which you can find on Patreon if you're interested. 
But here I want to share Tika's insights for Jeff because they tie into her own story in important ways too. Tika, I wonder if you could speak a bit to rebuilding a sense of trust and, you know, allowing yourselves to be intimate and to feel safe. Because as you mentioned, there was this history where that was not your own. And I know that you also work with a lot of people who experience these things. So what are some of the things that can be helpful? Well, Jeff, I just want to say one thing. You're an awesome, awesome guy. And maybe if you assist her in what she's doing, you know, saying some sexy words to her, touching her, kissing her, kissing on her while she's doing her thing, I'm pretty sure that that might help you help you as well. I love that idea. Yeah. And it's just, I understand being a survivor of sexual assault, it's hard for you to trust. Trust has to be there before anything else, before the intimacy can actually be there. Well, you have two different sides of the spectrum. You have someone who is scared to open up and be sexual, then you have someone that's overly sexual. And I was on the side of being overly sexual because I always felt, you know, especially when I was younger, that sex equals love. You know, those lines were very blurred for me. So it it took for me to feel an emptiness and finding out that I wasn't getting everything that I wanted in a relationship. Yes, the sex is great, but he's not giving me any time. He's not giving me any attention. He's not giving me understanding. So once I was able to break down and put everything on a scale and say, yeah, sex is great, but he's a jerk, you know? And it was just like, it wasn't working for me. Once I broke up with my ex, I had to take a step back. And I really looked at my life and I really was just like, okay, there's something missing. I need to humble myself completely, even in that way. You know, far as my financial part, I had to humble myself. But then also in the list of what I needed in a man, because my list was very, very shallow. It's very superficial. You know, most women, we want him to be fine, good looking. You know, we want him to have money and we want him to be a rock star in bed. Like that for young girls, for young women, that is the standard. What we've been taught to find sexy, right? Exactly. But what I had to learn was that I need a compassionate man. I need an empathetic man. I need an understanding man. You know, I need someone that's going to love me as much as I love them. Someone that's going to to see me for who I am and not for what I can do. Once I was able to heal myself and find my own value, I was able to change my list. And it's it's beautiful because now I have someone in my life that is that new list for me. He makes me feel like I'm everything. And I have never had that feeling ever in my life. And it's just like, I must have finally did something right in my life to actually have this type of love in my life that I didn't think that I was worthy of. Are many, many, many right things. Yeah. You're such a 
a thriver. So beautiful, and I'm so happy for you and for your partner. Yay. Who has a total <laughs> warrior, yes. amazing queen of a partner. Oh, super supportive. <laughs> he's, he's, he's wonderful. That is so great. That yeah. is so great. If you were to give, when you are to give, your next TED Talk, oh. what would the topic be? Oh, gosh. So I guess I shared such a big part of my life. There are smaller pieces of my life that led me up to that point. I talk a lot about generational trauma. So that is something that people would really need to understand because it goes along with identity. I had this huge identity crisis growing up because I was black and poor living in the jungles of Los Angeles, California. But I went to school in Pacific Palisades. And I have hate for myself. I had this, why did I have to be black and poor? Because she learned from early on that black is bad. Everything, you know, on the media, being black was terrible. You know, we're monsters and we're not good enough. And that's just what the media told me growing up. So I hated being black for a very long time. It wasn't until I started to learn more about who I am, more about my people, then I started to regain pride in myself. Because you have to understand this. If I was to ask you, where are you from? You could tell, you know, I'm Irish, you know, I'm German, I'm Dutch. My family came from here. But yeah. if you ask a black person, where are you from? Well, my grandma from Louisiana, my grandpa from Ohio, that's as far as we can go. So in order to have pride in self, you need to know who you are. So that's something that I would love to talk about generational trauma along with identity of, you know, personally, the identity of a Black woman in America. Yeah, that would be powerful. And if you were to have the nurse who helped you along mm -hmm. that day sitting right here, what might you say to her? Mm. Gosh. Thank you for saving my life. You know, because I could just imagine. I could just imagine what would have happened if I would have stayed in California and if he would have found me. You know, I can't remember your name. But I'll never forget your face and I'll never forget the words that you told me and I just never forget what you did for me. I hope you're well, and I hope that you get everything, everything that you want in life because you deserve it and so much more. What an example of the difference one person can make. Yes. In that nurse and in you. Yeah. How many lives you are changing, how many lives you are saving. Yeah. You may never even know. And like I said, because of the work that I do and because of the outcome and because of the many women that have contacted me, that have disclosed something that they've never told anyone else, when everything came to light and I was able to shed the shame and tell everyone that this was my life and this was my story. 
so many women have came out and said, you know what? I would never be able to tell anyone this, but I'm going to talk to you about it. And young girls that said, you know, it happened to me, but I'm not going to let this be my complete story. I'm going to shake it off now and move forward. Or a young girl saying, you know what? A guy is talking to me. I didn't talk to him, but it just felt weird. What, what should I do? And then I start, you know, just telling them like, because you can't tell a teenager what not to do. <laughs> you can, all you can do is just tell them the different outcomes or consequences of certain actions. And then for the girl to call, call me back or to contact me again and say, you know what? I found out that he pimped out two other girls and I dodged a bullet. Thank you so much for helping me out. So it's just, I feel like a higher power, God, or whatever you want to call it, you know, knew that I was strong enough to handle this knew that I was going to gain knowledge from this and I will be able to use it to help someone else. So like I said, everything I went through was hard. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But at the same time, I can get through it. I'm strong enough for it and I can help other people through it. So it was worth it. Thank you, Tika. And thank you for making the world a better place. (laughs) Thank you. Find links to resources for learning more about sex trafficking or getting the support you need, as well as Tika's moving TEDx talk, down in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>